0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the
1: official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. A Sunday get-together here on CBS Sports Radio. Jody Mac coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. When you want the ability to adjust your loan options in real-time, Rocket can. All right. Uh, despite the fact that the NFL season is over and done with, congrats to the Bucks and Tom Brady and everybody else down there in Tampa for their championship. And this is supposed to be a bit of a downtime because the NFL year hasn't started. Oh, there are a whole bunch of storylines going on in the National Football League. Here to break down some of them for us from CBSSports.com NFL writer uh, who's been good enough to join us for a couple minutes here today, Jared Dubin. Jared, Jody Mac here. How you doing, bud? I'm doing all right. How about you? Good. Appreciate you coming on board. All right. Today's first question, off the top of your head, how would you rank the top six quarterbacks in the NFL going into the 2021 season?
2: I think you got to have Patrick Mahomes at number one. You know, he might not have won the Super Bowl this year, but I think it's been pretty clear over the last three years that he's been, you know, the best quarterback and best player in the league. Um, that, to me, is pretty clear cut. You know, after that, I think you got a group of around four or five guys that you can mix in there. Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott. Then you got guys like Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson. Um, you know, the past couple of years, Ryan Tannehill has been incredible. Justin Herbert last year was unbelievable, but uh, you know, I think in terms of the, the six guys, it's like Mahomes is definitely in there. Rogers Watson, Wilson definitely in there. And then I think you're picking from, you know, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson, sort of that kind of group.
1: I like your groupings. Uh, You might have a little bit more faith in Dak. I need to see it again after the injury to put him in that group. But that's perfectly fine. And I agree with your overall rankings. So here's my second question. Uh, Two of those five or six that you put at the top of the heap are Russell Wilson and uh, Deshaun Watson both of which are making a lot of noise and some pretty damn good rumblings about not wanting to be with the team that they're with anymore. And uh, at least in Watson's uh, case, him absolutely attempting to work the Texans into dealing him elsewhere. Wilson hasn't reached the same level yet, but he's let everybody know, if I were to be traded, here are the teams I want to go to. Is this a good thing or a bad thing for the NFL that two six best quarterbacks are doing what they can to lobby their way off their present teams? I think it kind of
2: depends how you look at it. You know, it's I would say if they get their way and are happier on different franchises, it might be a good thing because now you got two of the, you know, five, six best quarterbacks in the league that are in better situations and are much happier than they were before. But it's, I would say, not necessarily a good thing to have, you know, the offseason overtaken by you know, quarterback drama and players trying to force their way out of teams, if that makes sense. You know, I think in, in Deshaun Watson's case, um, he's certainly got a reason to want to leave. Just, like, look at everything that's happening with the Texans. That that franchise is a mess, you know. Um, I understand why he wants to leave. You know, Russell Wilson, I think it's a little bit more complicated. They've obviously had a lot of success in Seattle while he's been there, but a lot of it has been, you know, him sort of bailing out a team that is like put him behind the eight ball with very conservative offenses and very conservative play calling and sort of playing, you know, like teams did for a lot of the nineties, like when I was growing up. And that's just, I think we've been shown that's not really the way you win in the NFL anymore. And he often has to bail them out of bad situations because they want to play like that. And he's just sort of agitating to, you know, play a more modern style and put more, frankly, of the offense on his plate as opposed to, you know, run the ball on every first and second down, play ball control for the first three quarters, and then when you're losing in the fourth, start letting Russ cook so he can go win you the game. It would just be better if, if they sort of trusted him to do that all game. And, you know, I understand where he's coming from in that sense, too.
1: Let's go with the Texans first. Uh, we know who we can point the finger at because they've got a <laughs> uh, rather outspoken owner who's not afraid to be front and center and tackled through the media and in the public uh, the issues that his organization is having not quite the same in Seattle um, the way uh, the young McNair is now handling things in uh, Houston it hasn't played well because J.J. Watt forced his hand out of town and Deshaun seems like he is 100 percent determined to get out of there when it goes all the way to the top how do you turn around a trend like that? If uh, Mister McNair called you and asked you for some advice, what would you give him?
2: Um, you got to change everything. Like you know, you basically got to step aside. You got to get rid of you know the handpicked guys that you literally just picked to take over the team and start fostering a partnership with the guy who's the most important player in the organization. But I think if he wanted to hear that, he would not have done all this in the first place and they wouldn't be in this situation. You know, I, I think that that's something that he doesn't want to hear and he's not going to hear it, even if somebody directly said that to him. So it it seems like a situation that is kind of unsalvageable because once once the, the owner and the player cross paths, I mean, I don't know how you come back from that with unless, you know, one of the two of them is willing to sort of eat crow. And I think in this case, the player is in the right. And it seems far less likely that the owner will eat crow than the player would. So, uh, I don't know how you get back from
1: that. In Seattle, it's a different situation. They have a uh, far less hands on ownership situation. Mm-hmm. And basically, it comes down to the coach running the franchise, the face of the franchise. He's the head of personnel, as uh, well as being the guy on the sidelines all 16 weeks during the regular season. Um, which of the two situations? is easier to fix if there is to be a reconciliation. Is it easier in Seattle where you don't have an owner who's hands on, or is it easier down in Houston where one guy can basically dictate things It might not work out for the best, but he can certainly make a decision and say, no, we're going this way.
2: Oh, I think it's way easier to salvage in Seattle just because they've had a lot of success together before. And that's not really the case in Houston. There's also, you know, more of a pre-existing. Relationship in Seattle, specifically between Russ and, and Pete Carroll. You know, there's not really a pre existing relationship between Deshaun Watson and Cal McNair. You know, Bob McNair was the owner before that, and it's not necessarily like he had the greatest relationship with players either. So it's, it's something there's no sort of, there's nothing to fall back on, like, oh, remember in 2013 when everything was good, like the Seahawks have, you know? And it's, it's also like, you know, do you choose the 70 year old coach or the 30 year old quarterback? that seems like a pretty easy choice to me. Um, but when I choose the owner or the 25-year-old quarterback, I mean, I think the owner is going to choose the owner every
1: time. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much a given. We're talking to Jared Dubin from CBSSports.com, NFL writer here with us on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, they are certainly further down the road with Deshaun. If it comes to uh, the, the mindset of the owner, as you suggested it uh, should and probably will, But it's irreparable, and they can't go backwards, and they do have to trade Deshaun Watson to this part. they told anybody who will listen, well, that's nice that his name keeps coming up, but we have no plans on trading him. At some point, that narrative has to change. Their position has to change. It probably needs to come down before the draft. We're exactly two months away from the draft. How does Houston lay out this timeline? At what point do they want to say, all right, this isn't going to work. We have to admit it. We have to do what best can. We can cling to and tell the universe we're not trading them but behind closed doors. For as long as we can keep it behind closed doors, we're going to ferret out what kind of deal we can make. When do you think that process begins?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's one of two times. I think it either happens, you know, right around the start of free agency or, right around the few days leading up to the draft, you know, those are kind of the times where teams are going to be deciding on what their quarterback situation is going to be. Um, You got you you want to get it done before that because obviously you want to be able to get your replacement for Deshaun Watson, whoever that is. And I think ideally you want to get into the top two or three picks in the draft. So that, I mean, ideally you want to get to number two if you can, so that you get, you know, the best non-Trevor Lawrence quarterback on the board, whoever you decide that is. Um, if Deshaun doesn't want to go to the Jets, that gets a little bit more complicated because you're looking at trading him somewhere else and then packaging, you know, additional assets to try to move up the board. And that gets more difficult, especially if the Jets want to be there and take a quarterback in the first place. Um, but, I mean, I, I think that those are sort of the two different timelines. You, you know, teams are going to be looking to fill their quarterback at the future spot in free agency unless they're thinking we can get somebody in the draft. And in that case, you say, hey, would you rather Deshaun Watson instead? And then we can pick in your spot. So those are sort of the, the two different routes they can go, I think.
1: Speaking of the draft, uh, if this were a normal NFL year, we would have just wrapped up the combine in Indianapolis, and there'd be a heck of a lot more draft buzz on because guys would move up and move down with their performance mm-hmm. uh, on on the stopwatch, underwatch of all the scouts. Well, the scouts are going to have to do without this year, and that puts an extra emphasis on Pro Day Workouts, I'm sure the scouts aren't happy about it because the more information there's always the better information. Are there is there a specific teams, or I'll go so far as say teams, a group of teams that you think are more well-suited to take advantage of this handicapped, evaluative year, or uh, is it basically the same for everybody?
2: I think it's probably just the teams that have more picks are going to wind up doing better. The draft is an inexact science in the first place. And, you know, the best way to to not necessarily to beat it, but to game it is to give yourself as many, you know, rolls of the dice as possible. And that obviously involves having more and more picks. So you get teams that have, you know, instead of just seven picks, one in each round, if they've got compensatory picks that they got for losing free agents, or if they've got, you know, additional picks from trading players in the past, I think those are going to be the teams that are best positioned come out, you know, with the right players, quote unquote, from this draft, just because they have more chances to do it. And when you're working with less information, it's always better to give yourself more rolls of the dice. You know, that said, I think teams with, you know, strong analytics departments might have sort of a leg up too, just because if you're not getting, you know, the workouts, you have to rely on something else and everybody's scouting the same games. So you need to have, you know, a little bit extra of an edge. And if you have, teams that are looking into sports science or things like that you know if you have players that are not running the 40 yard dash for example but you want to know how fast the player is you know you have your analytics department call up and say you know how fast did the chips in his shoulder pad say he was running in a game and then you can sort of use that as as a as a proxy for the 40 instead of you know something at an actual workout so teams that are looking at different kinds of information i think might have a leg up too
1: Jared Dubin, NFL writer for CBSSports.com, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. All right. We had a pretty good turnover at the top of NFL teams this offseason. A bunch of head coaching uh, changes of the group that is starting anew with this season and um, Certainly the capabilities of the individual who got the job are the most important thing, but a lot of times you can surround yourself with good people, and that can help in that transition in that first year. Who do you think delivered the biggest hit of the teams that decided to change coaches, and is it purely because of the number one guy that they hired or because the guy's pretty damn good and he put together a damn good staff?
2: That's an interesting way to
1: put it. I think it's you know it's really important, obviously, to put together a good
2: staff. I think it's especially important if you are a defensive coach because so much of the way success is found in the NFL these days is through the quarterback. And I think you know you see that this year. You look at the the head coaching hires. You know you have a former quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator uh, that got hired in Philly and Nick Sirianni. You have, you know, Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, who was, you know, a quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator and a head coach who was offensive focused. Uh, you have David Coley, who was an offensive coach in Houston. Um, Arthur Smith, an uh, offensive coordinator now in Atlanta. Dan Campbell, who's been like a tight ends and assistant head coach now in Detroit. And you only have two defensive coaches that got hired. I think the thing that you might see with, you know, Robert Saleh in New York or Brandon Staley in LA, if their offenses have success, their offensive coordinators are going to get hired to head coaching jobs. And now all of a sudden you got to, you know, figure out who your next guy on offense is and start over. And that's something where, you know, so so Staley came from the Rams and Saley came from the 49ers. The head coaches there are Kyle Shanahan and Sean Bay. They're both guys that have now lost, you know, top guys from their offenses, but it didn't matter as much to them because they're the guy running the show on the offense anyway. So, you know, you can, you, you can lose, um, from uh, from San Francisco, you can you can lose Lafleur, um, and you can lose um, Zach Taylor from from LA. But the guys at the top are still running the show, and I think that that gets a little bit more complicated if you have a defensive head coach. Granted, you know your defense, you can stay you know consistent scheme wise on that side. But it's just much harder to build a defense that's consistently good year to year than it is to do that with an offense. And so much of that depends on on who's running your offense and who's in your quarterback's ear. And if you're going to lose somebody, you know, it's, it's more difficult, I think, to lose them on the offensive side of the ball. So I think that the teams that hired offensive coaches, as, as highly as I think of both Brandon Staley and Robert Saleh, I think that the teams that hired offensive head coaches probably have a leg up just because in the future, they're not going to lose the guy who's running their offense.
1: Would tend to agree with you there. All right. Uh, before the draft, before free agency coming down this upcoming week, as a matter of fact, teams have to make decisions about whether they do or don't put a franchise tag on a prospective free agent on their roster. Uh, foregone conclusion that Dak Prescott is going to be tagged again by the Cowboys. How it plays itself out thereafter is something we could probably debate, but we know Dak's going to get the tag. Um, how many other players are going to fall into that? Other positions, not as much money as Dak, and this is his second time on the tag. How much are we going to be talking about the tags that are handed out? How prevalent is going to be during this offseason?
2: I think there's going to be quite a number um, of of guys that get tagged just because the salary cap is set to drop. We don't know yet by how much, but I think that's going to really complicate you know contract extension negotiations before guys can hit free agency. So teams that want to make sure that they're able to keep somebody who's an important player for them, but haven't been able to come to a deal yet. I mean, I just don't think they're going to risk it. You know, if you don't want, you know, a a 25, 26-year-old whoever uh, player that's, you know, a valuable part of your defense or a wide receiver or an offensive lineman or whatever it is to hit the open market, I mean, that's the one way that you can do it. So, I mean, I think that there's quite a number of guys that will wind up getting tagged just because it's going to be more difficult to reach extension numbers.
1: Let me ask you about two specific, because the wide receiver position does have a couple of pretty good guys. Uh, Mm -hmm. Robinson of Chicago and uh, Chris Godwin of Tampa. Yay on both, nay on both, split one and one. Take a little look into your football crystal ball and tell me how those two players are going to be handled.
2: Yeah. I think that as much as he wants to leave it winds up happening for for Allen Robinson in Chicago like they just don't have another wide receiver there who can who is nearly as good as him and there's no real way for them to assure that they get that type of player so I do think that they'll wind up using it because he's not going to want to sign an extension I don't think maybe they end up getting you know a tag and trade scenario where he can sign an extension with whoever trades for him and the Bears can get some sort of compensation, but I I don't see them just letting him hit the open market. And then with Chris Godwin, I think it depends. Like, I think they have three free agents that they have to re-sign. you know, Chris Godwin, Shaq Barrett and Levante David. And I think that they're going to try to work out a long-term deal with at least two of them before they hit the open market. And the third one will get tagged. Uh, If they can't do that though, then it winds up in a situation where, you know, you can only tag one of the three guys. And, um, I mean, to me, I think Godwin makes maybe the most sense just because if they tag Barrett again, they'd have to pay him, I think, around $20 million just because he was already tagged last year. Um, and that's, you know, it's a pretty high number, obviously, just for one season without any guarantee beyond that year. And then David's getting into his 30s, and you don't necessarily want to pay, you know, top three linebacker money at that spot just because it's not necessarily an efficient use of resources. But I also think David's probably the most likely for them to come to an agreement on a long-term deal before free agency opens just because, you know, he's, he's been there the longest and they, they sort of have the pre-existing value and they've done a long-term extension before. So I do think that, you know, Godwin is probably pretty likely to get it if he doesn't come down with uh, with a, uh, a long-term deal before free agency opens. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting couple of weeks for the Buccaneers. Uh, no no rest for the uh, winners. They got to get right back to work if they want to get back to the big game again. All right, last one, and I'm sure you saw it on social media or wherever you uh, gather your news these days. Uh, Drew Brees' is perf- uh, personal trainer. Uh, put out not only uh, a quote, but some video about the workout that Drew Brees has been doing of late and specifically said something may be brewing here, leading one to believe that those of you who have uh, Drew already retired officially might be jumping the gun here a little bit. It makes for fun conversation, but I'm one of those who believe that Drew Brees uh, played his last game and had fun with Tom Brady after he got eliminated, throwing the football around the field uh, with his kids. Uh, is the trainer giving us some insight here that we wouldn't usually get, or is he just having some fun with us? Uh,
2: I'm with you. I think he's having some fun with us.
1: As do I. I'm not sure that uh, we're going to get to see. We'll see uh, Drew Brees, but it'll be on Sunday Night Football or in the studios on Sunday for NBC. But I don't know that we're going to see him back out there on the field with shoulder pads on. Hey, great stuff. Uh, Appreciate you coming on, Jared. Thanks for keeping us NFL updated. We'll talk to you again down the road. Thanks
2: Thanks
1: for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Jared Dubin, NFL writer for CBS Sports.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.